0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PyTorch Dev Podcast. Today, I want to talk with about the very first part of the PyTorch 2 stack, namely Torch Dynamo. This is the component that you interact with when you, for example, use Torch.compile. That just means that you're turning on Dynamo. Dynamo is going to collect up graphs and then pass it on to a compiler. So there's a lot of things that go on, but the very first thing that we have to do is actually get the graphs from your Eager program. And this is where you know Dynamo does something a little different. As we've mentioned in many different places, the idea behind Dynamo is we are going to go ahead and take your Python program as is, Do a analysis on the byte codes in your Python bytecode, and use this to figure out what the actual tensor operations on a given piece of Python code are. So, the uh, what I want to do in this podcast is I want to go in a little more detail about what exactly that means, and what that also what the implications of setting up a graph capture mechanism in this way are, because there are some um, questions that you might have about whether or not. Uh, Torch Dynamo will work on a given program or not, and um, those questions can often easily be answered by just knowing a little bit about how Dynamo is supposed to work. And in particular, um, knowing how Dynamo is supposed to work can also help answer a question which is, you know, does this not work just because there's a bug in PyTorch, or does it not work because there's some deep fundamental reason? And so we just, I just want to pull back the covers a little in this podcast to help you, you know, make assessments like that about whether or not Dynamo is correct for a given situation or not. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the high-level UX behind Dynamo, and then we'll dive a little bit into um, the big design concepts here. So the UX behind Dynamo, right, is um, it's the torch.compile UI. So you have this method called torch.compile. You can decorate a function with it. And what torch.compile does is somehow makes your program go faster. And the way it makes your program go faster is um, you have a Python program. This Python program normally does some stuff, right? It does some tensor computation. It might also, you know, print some lines out. It might also, you know, go ahead and modify some Python data structures. And Dynamo's job is to take this Python program, this stream of Python bytecode instructions, and turn it into two pieces. One is a graph of tensor operations. This graph of tensor operations is what we'll actually pass on to the compiler and hopefully compile into some form that can run more quickly. The other thing Dynamo does is it takes your Python program and rewrites it into what I call a residual Python bytecode program, which simply goes ahead and calls that graph, that graph of tensor operations that you saw before, as well as does whatever extra Python operations that were necessary um, because you know, those were the Python operations that your program did. So somewhat unusually, for example, if you had a, um, if you had a function and it, for example, added a number to some global variable in your program, Normally you'd think, well, that's kind of weird, right? Like that's not something that I want to show up in my tensor program. It's just good old Python code. Surely Dynamo can't handle that. Well, the answer is no, in fact, Dynamo can. Dynamo sees that there is this operation going on when it's an analyzing the byte code, and it makes sure to replicate it when it extracts out your program. So just because you go ahead and increment a counter in the middle of your program doesn't mean that we do what's called a graph break. That is say Dynamo throws up his hands and is like, well, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to bail out and ask Python to do the thing. Dynamo actually understands a lot of operations in Python code. And this is important because in 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 order to get good compilation results, we need to be able to capture enough of our program and to capture enough of our program well, we need to not be breaking on every little thing. I also want to point out that there's an important philosophical consideration behind this, which is that we always have the Python interpreter available. So, although TorchDynamo does a lot of work to understand as many constructs in the Python language as possible, it also has permission to not understand things. If something is too complicated or, you know, too annoying for us to implement, maybe you're calling some, you know, giant third-party library and it's you know doing web requests or something like that if there's something too strange too unusual Dynamo has the ability to say okay fine I am just going to run your code as is as in Python and um, you know we're not going to actually see the rest of your program so we hope to capture as much as we can, but we are not forced to catch everything. And this was really important, you know, when we were uh, working on Dynamo, well, when Jason Ansell was, uh, you know, developing the very early versions of Dynamo, because, in fact, there are a lot of features in the Python language you need to implement to get a lot of benchmarks going. But he didn't need all of them implemented all at once at the beginning, he could start off with, you know, just a subset of the features he needed and some models would work well and some models would have lots of graph breaks. And then as we improved Dynamo, there would be less and less graph breaks in your programs. So, you know, that's also kind of the situation you should expect here, which is that, hey, you know, maybe you run your program through Dynamo and you get a single graph, hooray, nothing left to do but maybe you run your program through Dynamo and you get a lot of graph breaks. Well, don't despair, right? Maybe in the next version of PyTorch, or you know, maybe even before the stable release, there might be work done to actually understand the things that are tripping you up and then you know you can figure it out that way. There's actually a configuration flag in Dynamo that um, you can turn on to give warnings whenever there are graph breaks. And you know if you think you've got a reasonable model that you know should work and it's graph breaking, send us a bug report, and you know we'll we'll look into it because uh, you know we're definitely interested in helping Dynamo understand more things. Okay. So uh, what do we say so far? So we've got Dynamo, right? It understands your Python program and converts it into a series of tensor operations and a series of residual Python operations. And um, I also want to talk a little bit about what kind of graph you get from Dynamo, okay? So, you know, if you have tried playing around with a custom backend, uh, Torch.compile makes it really easy to play around with a custom backend because you can just pass in a function uh, to be your compiler and you'll just get an FX graph, um, which represents the computation in question. So, you know, FX graphs, and you can see my podcast on FX graphs if you're curious more about them. An FX graph is just this very simple, you know, Data structure representing Python programs. So, you know, it's got a list of nodes, you can iterate through the nodes, and there's various calls on the nodes to various Python functions. And it's very, very flexible. It's really just a container format. It's not a true IR because all of the function calls inside an FX graph are just actual callables that, you know, are the ones that you actually call in Python. So, what exactly does an FX graph that Dynamo gives you look like? Now, If we weren't doing Dynamo at all, right, I could just have my uh, program be represented as a single function call in my uh, Dynamo graph, uh, which um, called into whatever the original user code was. But Dynamo doesn't do that, right? Because one of the things that Dynamo is doing is it is understanding what exactly your Python code is doing and making sure that it produces a graph that is always valid to use in some later iteration. So if I just have some black box Python function that is the only thing in my RER that you know I can compile, well for one, how the heck am I going to compile that? And the answer is, well with tracing. But, you know, like having a single um, function is not all that useful, but also it's because um, Dynamo needs to keep track of, you know, whether or not I, whatever, you know, this graph is valid in the future. And to do that, it actually needs to look into things. So what you'll actually expect to get is you'll actually expect to get a bunch of PyTorch operations. If you had a bunch of calls to user functions, you should expect those to be inline into Dynamo, So you're not gonna see a bunch of recursive function calls. Um, you're just gonna see a straight line program that has all the operations you need. You're not gonna to expect to see loops in the uh, graph because in fact, you know, FXIR does not natively support loops. Um, all your loops will be unrolled. All your conditionals will be flattened. You won't see conditionals in uh, your dynamo graph. You'll basically have a straight line program of a bunch of Python calls. Now, this is very nice and normalized, but it's actually not that normalized. So there, here are some things that you're not going to get directly from Dynamo. So one thing you're not going to get is you're not going to get a backwards graph. To get the backwards graph, you need another component, AOT Autograd, which um, I've had a podcast about with Horace before, but we're going to do another podcast um, about you know the PyTorch 2 specific implications of AOT Autograd. Suffice to say, um, uh, you 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 aren't going to get the backwards. So you want to use AOT autograd to do that. In fact, there's um, an API change winding its way, which we're probably going to change the default behavior of torch.compile. If you feed it a function, we're not going to give you all the torch functions anymore. We're going to give you it. Uh, we're gonna call you once for forwards and call you again for backwards. That probably is more likely what users want to see. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for the API change. So this doesn't affect you if you're using just the inductor backend, but for all you compiler backend writers out there, this is probably a change. And um, before this change actually lands, uh, you probably do want to be using AOT Autograd because, you know, you actually do want Autograd support um, for your compiler, You also get some other things. So some other things you don't get from this graph. So it's going to be calls to the torch API. It's going to be the calls to the Python API. It's going to look very, very similar to the actual function calls that were in your original program. Now we actually can normalize this IR a bit, right? So these torch function calls have all of the weirdnesses of the Python API, for example, um, you can call uh, reshape on a tensor and you can pass to reshape either a tuple of sizes you want or you can just um, you know, get rid of the tuple and just pass them in one by one as positional arguments this doesn't get normalized at all. You'll see exactly what the user saw in that question. To get this normalization and to also just, you know, you know, tease apart some of these high-level operations, you might want to lower to A10 operations. Once again, this is, something, this is not something that Dynamo does Built in. This is something that AOT Autograd. Um, now it's a little. Uh, it's a, AOT Autograd is actually doing a lot of lifting. It's not just doing Autograd, but it's also lowering things to A10. AOT Autograd is responsible for lowering from Torch Ops API into A10 API. So you know, you're know you not going to get that by default. You need to opt into um, AOT Autograd to get that. One more thing that you're not going to see in the IR is you're not going to see. Um, sorry actually what something you'll see in the IR and maybe you don't want to see is if Pyth- the python program had views or it had mutation all of that is going to also be captured faithfully so really all dynamo is doing is you know it's inlining away and removing all the python constructs from your program but you're really just getting like a forward only you know very idiomatic pytorch program and that's sort of easy to understand but it's actually not so easy for compilers to deal with in fact compilers have a lot of headache Dealing with mutation and views. Just ask, for example, XLA, where you know their HLO IR does not actually have a concept of mutation or of uh, views. So, in order to also get rid of those, um, once again, I you can probably guess where I'm going with this. AOT autograd is responsible for what's called functionalizing away those operations, so that you know you get a very nice functional, clean IR that's good for compilers. So so you know what is dynamo doing right all dynamo is doing is it's understanding the python code it's figuring out how to remove python constructs so you're never going to see a python class or a python or even a python named tuple inside of the dynamo graphs all of that gets flattened away you know you're just getting a bunch of tensors and doing operations on those tensors and then returning a bunch more tensors But beyond that, beyond what Dynamo can understand at a superficial level by just looking at the Python code, looking at the Python bytecode, you don't get any normalization beyond that. That's all AOT Autograd's job. Okay, so with this understanding about, you know, Dynamo's, uh, what, what Dynamo actually does and doesn't do, we can also, you know, think about, you know, what kinds of problems are likely to show up due to Dynamo itself, as opposed to other parts of the stack. So for example, if you are, uh, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, you've got a graph, and it doesn't look quite right, like, you know, maybe there are some operations in it that, um, you know, don't look quite uh, correct. um, And this is before you've gone ahead and sent it to AOT Autograd. So this is like, for example, if you just Um, you know, pass in a simple backend compiler that prints the FX graph in question. Well, that means that it is a problem in Dynamo. And this is one of the reasons why torch.compile has a backend, it's called eager. It's a very pointless backend. All it does is it takes the FX graph and then runs it directly as is, but it's really useful for figuring out if you have a dynamo bug at all, right? So you've got your program, you're trying to run it, it's doing something weird. So you replace the backend with eager. And now, you know, we are not doing anything interesting except running dynamo. And if it still fails in that case, well, you know, you found a dynamo bug. Similarly, um, if you are running Dynamo and you're like, well, this is kind of weird. Some of my Python state doesn't look quite right after running Dynamo. Well, that's also likely to be a Dynamo bug. And once again, you can figure out if that's the case by switching torch.compile to eager, so torch.compile eager says use Dynamo, but don't actually run any of the compiler. Don't even run AOT autograd because AOT autograd is its own sort of complicated component in its own right. It also has bugs, and so sometimes uh, uh, you know you want to like run AOT autograd and uh, Dynamo, but not anything else. That's that's the backend called AOT eager. Um, And so by, you know, sort of varying your backends, you can um, sort of use this to sort of figure out which part of the compiler stack is, you know, breaking. And this is really useful. I use this all the time when I'm working on PyTorch to figure things out. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about Dynamo, right? What is Dynamo? It um, you know, processes Python bytecode to get you the tensor graph and a bunch of residual Python operations. What do you get as an output? You get a graph. The graph has a bunch of tensor operations in it. It doesn't have any Python types in it. It doesn't have any Python control flow or loops, but it isn't lowered. And so if you want to do the lowering, you have to go to AOT autograd. And so this you know, um, this description of um, uh, Dynamo is a pretty good, um, I think it's a pretty good, you know, like black box description of what Dynamo does. And so you should be able to think about this and think to yourself, you know, is Dynamo useful for my situation or is it not? So to wrap up this podcast, I just want to compare Dynamo to a few of the other graph capture mechanisms we've built in PyTorch. And we can just use this sort of, Bird's eye view to like you know talk about the pros and cons of different approaches. So one very obvious comparison point that people want to make with Dynamo is with TorchScript, right? So TorchScript is the original um, PyTorch just-in-time compiler. Um, you know what does it look like? Well, you know you've also got a decorator. You can decorate your functions, but unlike Dynamo, you have to you know make sure all of your program is what's quote unquote called TorchScriptable. And what do we mean by torch scriptable? Well, because TorchScript is a subset of Python that our compiler understands. And so there are some Python features you're allowed to use, some features that you're not allowed to use. And so depending on whether or not you use those features or not, um, you know, your program may be torch scriptable or not. So let's do a little bit of a comparison here. So what does Dynamo do? So I said Dynamo understands your PyTorch program at the bytecode level. So Dynamo processes the bytecode stream that your Python interpreter compiled you to. Tor script, on the other hand, um, processes Python ASTs. So it actually takes your Python program, you know, produces an AST for it using, you know, for example, a standard Python AST parser, and then attempts to map that into its own internal intermediate representation that can represent all the things that are in a normal Python program. So this is where, this is like a major philosophy difference, right? When Dynamo gives you a graph, this graph is completely inline, there are no loops, there are no data structures. In TorchScript, all of those constructs are preserved, right? So if you have a loop that is TorchScriptable, then you will get that loop inside TorchScript. And so that makes TorchScript really good for, um, well, okay, of debatable goodness. But one of the things that TorchScript really got used for a lot early in its um, lifetime was for sort of export situations where you know you were doing a beam search and you wanted to loop over various elements and then you wanted to capture that loop as is and then ship it to some other environment. Tortscript can do that for you because it understands loops. It has an understanding of many different Python data types, like mutable lists. So you know, if you stay in that subset, you know it's basically like a tiny scripting language that happens to be runnable in C++, uh, without the gil, and you know that is beneficial in a lot of situations. The downside to doing it this way is that TorchScript uh, programs are a lot more difficult to compile, right? Because you've got these random python lists running around you've got you know all sorts of weird data structures running around you basically um you know can't really compile a torscript program as is you have to sort of extract out the you know functional graph bits first and then you have you you can actually compile those and uh like you know that's a bit of a step and you know like uh uh, oftentimes, you know, maybe there is a list data structure, but it's always static. And so, if you had just unrolled it, then you would have gotten a nice, easy-to-compile sequence of tensor operations. But no, you know, you couldn't, you you couldn't do that, right? Because TorchScript didn't know that that was the case. Compare that with Dynamo, right? Dynamo is operating bytecodes, and you know, all it's doing is it's inlining and uh, you know, getting rid of all that stuff. So the graph you get is a lot easier to compile because it's basically straight line code, and you know, like just in time compilers, um, really like compiling straight line code because it, you know, it's a lot easier to not have to deal with control flow, and um, you know the you know, the downside of that is, right, we, it's less likely that your code will be valid, because what if the, you know, number of loop iterations changes, what if some conditional changes, and so Dynamo has a lot of machinery for making sure that, you know, it knows exactly what conditions have to be upheld uh, in this situation, and then you can actually, um, you know, you can specialize on all of those things, and, you know, breathe safe, that, hey, you know, next time around, if you know, a conditional had changed or if a loop counter had changed, um, I'm not gonna to attempt to reuse the stale graph. By the way, that's another one of the things that you know if, if you're thinking about ways Dynamo can go wrong, um, the guard infrastructure, the infrastructure which tells us whether or not we can safely reuse a graph or not, that's the other thing that can cause problems. And um, I hope to uh, talk a little bit about some of the debugging tools we have for diagnosing if that's one of the situations or not. Okay, so, you know, Dynamo, simple graphs, all inline, cool, TorchScript, complicated graphs, lots of support for Python features, you know, less easy to compile, but, you know, you can express more programs in it. Another comparison people often want to ask us about is um, FX symbolic trace, right? So FX was a new graph representation we wrote. We did it in Python. Doing it in Python, by the way, was a really good idea. And you know, Dynamo is written in Python, um, and that makes it a lot easier to debug and deal with, right? TorchScript is written entirely in C It's very difficult for you know an external person to you know get their hands on it, and make changes. It's very easy to tweak Dynamo, you know, change things around and see what happens. So FX. Um, you know, introduced the Python IR format that we still use in Dynamo, but it also introduced this thing called um, FX symbolic tracing. And what symbolic tracing is basically is it's a Python level tracer, using, you know, Python's ability to do operator overloading to capture the things that are going on. So like, say you have a model, and you want to figure out what operations are in it, then you pass in, uh, you, you, you call it with symbolic trace, symbolic trace, instead of passing in tensors, passes in these things called proxies. And then you know, it looks and sees what operations get called on these proxies and records that to the FX graph. So once again, what's the difference between this and Dynamo? Well, you know, Dynamo is sort of morally doing the same thing, but it's operating at a different level. FX has to operate at the level of um, whatever Python's operator overloading supports. So for example, if there is a conditional and, you know, um, someone is trying to figure out what the heck, uh, you know, sorry, if there's a conditional, um, you know, Uh, fx doesn't actually have a opportunity to see what the conditional is or do anything special but because dynamo is like executing bytecode by bytecode it actually can see oh there's a jump condition here and do all sorts of things so dynamo you know is sort of morally doing the same thing as fx tracer but because it's doing it at a lower level it has a lot more flexibility and ability to put in safety guards that fx can't do actually fx symbolic trace is very very limited in some sense which is because It doesn't actually. um, It doesn't even support querying shapes on tensors because it just replaces these things with proxies, and it just says, "Well, I don't know what these are." This is not a fundamental limitation, and in fact, the what AOT and there's a different mechanism that AOT autograd uses called proxy tensor tracing, where we actually maintain fully fledged proxy tensors. And you know this is also very similar to symbolic tracing, but now you can actually query for the size of a tensor and get that out. But the p- fact remains, right? That like when you run Dynamo, if you like call into some external library, Dynamo can notice it because it's processing each of the bytecode instructions and say, oh, I'm calling a function into matplotlib. That doesn't sound good. I should graph break here. Any sort of Python operator overlaying mechanism cannot get that level of uh, insight into what is executing in your program. You're just going to go ahead and execute um, you know, operations, and only if you know, you're uh, dealing with your proxies do you actually get the callback and get to record things. So if there's other stuff going on in the Python program, you have no idea what's going on. So Dynamo, by hooking into the bytecode, can get all that information. So hopefully I've given you a little bit more sort of the high-level information about you know, what Dynamo does at a high level and how it compares to other systems. There's plenty of other things to talk about, and I will talk about them in later podcasts. Thank you very much for your time. See you next time.